Hi, if you're looking for greater hope, assurance, and confidence through the shifting sands of life, then join me on today's episode as we dig deep into the Bible to discover rock-solid truth for life and living from the God of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Keffer. Well, glad you are on today. Believing that God our Father has called you here, the Lord Jesus himself, for a purpose. So I thought it was interesting. We spent whatever 22 weeks taking a look at the name of God in, in all different facets, like a diamond. Well, we lifted it up and we looked at it, both Yahweh and all the compound names that surround Yahweh as God is using his name to reveal his character and his nature to us. And then we took a, a look at uh, the names of Jesus as well to, to get a sense of the, the amazing sense of who he is. So we, we look at that kind of Old Testament, New Testament, how they connect. And I was asking the Lord, so where do we go next? Where do we go next? And he brought to mind really this idea of promise and fulfillment, if you will, promise and fulfillment as God is revealing his nature as the world in a pregnant pause was waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And so what a better place to look at the promise being fulfilled than to walk on a journey through the gospel according to Matthew, really the first gospel in the New Testament. And so uh, please join me as we walk each week uh, through uh, the gospel in Matthew. And we want to be as the, as the shepherds were to worship the sovereign king. And so we're going to walk through the gospel according to Matthew, and we're going to worship the sovereign king. So hopefully I have a sheet today. What I want to do is give a sense, a context to where we are when, when this unfolds in the history of the world so that we have some sense of what did it mean then and what will it mean to you now? What does it mean then? Because all of this is about putting our trust in our confidence and our hope in him. In a world that seems to be spinning out of control, how do we look at him? What do we think about him? And who is he to each of us? What do we think about him? So the, the very first thing I start with is this promise to Abraham, promise to Abraham. So go with me, way left to the book of Genesis chapter 12. So we see here, here's Yahweh, right? The I am that I am. And he says to Abram, before his name is changed, right? Here he is. He's a moon worshiper in the land of, of Ur, right? Ur of the Chaldeans right? And the Lord says to him, what's the very first word he says to him in your version? Go. Yeah, it says go. go. Yeah, go <laughs> forth from your country. Go. Very first, go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house. Here is his culture. Here is his background. Here is his genetic connection, if you will, right? Here are his people. And he, say, he says, go, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house. This is all the definition of who we are. He calls him forth from that, and he says, go, go where? To the land which I will show you, and I will, here's the promise, make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And he says, I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And this is important. And he says, not only a great nation, not only will you be blessed, not only will your name be great, but in you, what? For verse three, in you, 
all the families of the earth will be blessed. So on your sheet, underline that. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Isn't that a great promise? Amazing. It's, I mean, you, you right now, your eyes are opened and you're in Christ and you see this because of the promise that God made to, to Abram. So we see this promise to, uh, to Abraham. It was originally to Abram, right? The Lord Yahweh says to Abram. And then we go forward 1,200 years to King David. And if you go to 2 Samuel 7, if you start, if you look in verse 8, he says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says Yahweh of hosts. We looked at that name. I took you from the pasture, from the following the sheep, to be ruler of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies before you. I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I'll appoint a place for my people Israel, plant them. They may live in their place, right? Live in their place. And I'll give you rest, it says in verse 11. The Lord also declares to you that Yahweh will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Who's that? That'll be Solomon, right? House for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I'll correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from king, before, who I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established. How long? Forever. This is the promise of a forever throne, a forever throne. And then I have on your sheet in Psalm one thirty two, Yahweh has sworn to David. What's the truth from which he will not turn back? Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. There's the promise, the promise of an eternal throne, one who would reign forever and ever. Well, if you go forward to Isaiah chapter 11, it says, A shoot shall spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will be upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, right? The, 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 he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Who is this one? With righteousness, he will judge the poor, decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And what will that look like, Lord? He will come. What will it look like? The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Cow and a bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play in the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. What? They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people. His resting place will be glorious. 
a shoot from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Interesting. So this is a promise, a promise of Messiah and restoration and renewal, not of some, but of all creation, of all creation. Eden restored, redeemed and restored, greater than it was in its original state. Restoration and a renewal of all of creation, the promise of Messiah and the restoration and renewal of all. So we have this promise to Abraham, we have this promise to David, and we have the promise of Messiah and the restoration and renewal of all creation. Well, the Bible ends in the Old Testament. If you go to Malachi, Malachi 4, 4 through 6, he says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and the ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send to you what? Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Yahweh. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In your Bible, what happens when you turn the page after Malachi? New Testament. New Testament. Yeah, it says New Testament. <laughs> yeah, well, there's something missing in the middle there. 400 years. That's right. 400 years. So what do we see in there? Put on there, right? This is, this is Malachi, 460 BC, the book in the time when we show up here in Matthew, when Matthew opens up, it's sometime around 5 BC. So 400, 450 years, something like that. The ruling power, when we close the Old Testament, were the Persians. The ruling power now, when we open the New Testament, are the Romans. What were they speaking? They were, they were writing and speaking in Hebrew and Aramaic. So the Old Testament is written almost exclusively in Hebrew. There are some sections in Daniel written in Aramaic. Now the primary language is no longer Hebrew and Aramaic. What is it? It's Greek. So they're going to translate the Old Testament into the Septuagint, which is Greek. Well, originally we had the scribes. The religious groups in the Old Testament were the scribes. Now we have the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. The temple, the second temple was complete, is where we ended. Solomon has completed the second temple. In the New Testament, we have it being reconstructed and expanded, but a lot happened. So it's important that we put on the mindset. You really have to set aside your, your worldview and your perspective at the moment and try and set yourself in this time to understand it. Otherwise, we don't comprehend it. It's amazing to me. It baffles me how many Christians have no concept, very little concept of the Old Testament. They don't spend much time in there. They don't like the God they see in there. I don't know what it is. It doesn't seem to be relevant. There's absolutely no way that you can be a Christian and understand Jesus Christ, the consummation of the ages, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, in the full, when time was pregnant enough, Jesus Christ, it says in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, the son was born unto us, unto us, a child is born, a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Wonderful, counselor 
So let's get some history here. 450 BC. So the Persians are in control until about 331 BC. 100 and whatever that is, 29 years. Persia is conquered by Alexander the Great. How many have heard Alexander the Great? <laughs> right? He, he conquers the Persians. Well, he was an ardent student of Aristotle. He was an ardent student of Aristotle. Well, Aristotle was the third in line, Socrates, and his star pupil was Plato, whose star pupil was Aristotle. And Aristotle had a passion for unity, to unify all things. In fact, the word university really comes from their understanding of unity and diversity, university, unifying things. So when Alexander uh, the Great went out, he not only went out with soldiers, he went out with the largest group of scientists because he was really looking to unify, if you will, bring unity to wisdom and understanding and philosophy in the time, which is very interesting. Not only was he a, a, a general, but he was really a philosophical general. And they estimate that he, his investment in science in this this whole idea of of scientific research was not was not equaled until the what we invested in the space program in the early 60s that's how much money he put into this and the the idea was to helen the hellenization of the ancient world which is that space there as i put to greekify to greekify the world in other words bring all philosophies and all people into a Greek worldview, a Greek mindset, a Greek understanding. Well, in 327, when God said enough, Alexander, God finished his, his rule, and there were, there were literally eight generals who fought, and it came down to the Ptolemies and the Seleucids who split the control, if you will, of his kingdom. And Ptolemy the, the first controlled Palestine for a number of years until Antiochus, who was a Seleucid, took over in 198. And Antiochus was not, not only like um, Alexander believed in Hellenization, uh, he believed in forced Hellenization, not just we're, we're going to unify, you're, we're going to make you. So he forced Hellenization on, on the Jewish population, and they were resisted by the Hasidians, they were called the pious ones who resisted this idea of Hellenization. They were called the, the, the pious ones. Here's what's interesting. Uh, you know what they're called today? Hasidic Jews. These are the Hasidians. They are today's Hasidic Jews. That's their heritage, if you will. They were the pious ones who were resisting being Hellenized by Antiochus. Well, more and more of the conquered people were resisting this idea of Hellenization, including a group that was called the separated ones. And they were godly, they were passionate, they were zealous for, for the ancient covenant, God's ancient covenant, for Yahweh's ancient covenant, and they were zealous to obey Old Testament law. You know what that group's name was? That was the original Pharisees, zealous for ancient covenant, obedient to God. They were the separated ones. They were the original Pharisees, broken apart, right, and set apart for God's purposes. 
Well, about 175 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes. Huh, how many have heard the word epiphany? It means manifestation. He was the manifest God. That's what they called him. They called him Antiochus Epiphanes because he was believed to be the manifest God. And he, he literally fulfilled one of the abominations of desolation. He outlawed the keeping of the Sabbath, circumcision, and the possession of Hebrew scriptures. In fact, not only did he outlaw it, if you were caught doing any of those three, you were put to death. Interesting. And then it culminated in 167 BC, literally where he took a pig and he sacrificed it on the altar in the Holy of Holies. The abomination of desolation spoken about. Well, 164, there was a Maccabean revolt. Mattathias led kind of a, a guerrilla revolt. He had five sons. His third son was called Judas the Hammerer. He won religious freedom, and the temple was reopened. It was rededicated, and that's the celebration which goes on today. It's the Feast of Hanukkah. Well, by 142, full freedom was restored, and it stayed in place till about 63 BC, in which case Palestine was conquered by the Romans, by General Pompey. And 100 years later, there's an Edumean chieftain who is appointed. He's appointed as king of the Jews. And this is Herod, right? He's half Jew. He's half. In fact, he's not even that. His father was an Edumean born in, um, he was an Edomite, and he had converted to Judaism, and he had married an Arab princess. And, and literally, when he was given that title, he climbed to the, the steps of the Temple of Jupiter, and he sacrificed and, and, and vowed himself in his allegiance to Rome. He was appointed by literally two, Mark Antony, who is famous for Antony and Cleopatra, and Octavius, who would become Caesar Augustus. And he survives. The, uh, the two of them have a civil war. He prostrates himself in front of Octavius, promising to be the ever-loyal subject. Well, he tries to win the favor of the Jews. He is a, he's, he's appointed king of the Jews. He marries a Hasmonean princess, and he, he at the same time, he introduces a literally Gestapo state. He had a spy network. There was imprisonment, torture, execution of anyone who fall, fell under the slightest suspicion. And if you fell on his wrong side, he would execute you, including three of his sons he had executed, his wife Miriam, his Hasmonean wife Miriam he had executed, his wife's mother, his wife's grandfather, and of course, the famous order to execute every male child under the age of two, which we'll see here in Matthew. By the way, it's important today to be discerning about where you go. I would just suggest many people go to uh, Slickopedia. I would suggest you're very cautious about Slickopedia. Just you just understand where the 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 worldview and the mindset is inside of Slickopedia. It says a majority of Herod biographers. I always like to see what they say, and probably a majority of biblical scholars hold the event of the execution of these two-year-old children to be myth, legend or folklore. And that's in the top sentence. So be cautious about where you get your info. So this is the case. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king. He is appointed king of the Jews. 
and he is ruthless. So the Jews are now groaning under foreign rule. Rome, they have this puppet king who's not even Jewish. He's considered a traitor to the Jewish interest. So, of course, at the time, there is this rise of Jewish messianism, an expectation that God would send, and I put on there a Davidic king who would conquer, who would free. He would be, yes, he would be the, in, in the line of David, of course. You promised. He's going to come, and he's going to free us from control. So we start out the book of Matthew. What's chapter 1, verse 1 read? Somebody read it if they would, please. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So that's how it starts out. The genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. Now go back. The son of David, promised to David. The son of Abraham, promised to Abraham. Right? Here's the connection. And so throughout Matthew, you're going to see this phrase, this was to fulfill. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophets. So we're going to see that this is a book of promise and fulfillment, promise and fulfillment. So he's going to continue to go back in a way no other book does, reaching back to the Old Testament to say, look, this was the promise. This is the fulfillment. This was the promise. There's a promise that John would, there would be a messenger right? In, in Malachi 3.1, there's a promise of the virgin birth. There's a promise that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem from Micah. There's a promise that they would return, they would go to Egypt and return, that his ministry would be to the Gentiles, that his miraculous, he would heal miraculously. He would open the eyes of the blind. He would open, right, give hearing to the deaf. He would speak in parables, and he would have a triumphal entry, how many have looked at all the promises and fulfilled the Messiah? Right, you've seen that. Like there's, there's hundreds of them. But here's a reminder for us. We think that's cool. We like it. And, and we, we often point to it from a, an apologetic standpoint. But I believe here fulfillment is not as much about apologetics as it is about the sovereignty of the king. It is about the sovereignty of this king, of the, the one who would come, the king. From that time forth, Jesus shows up, and from that time forth, he began to preach. What did he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. Well, that phrase is only used in, in Matthew, only in Matthew. Over 30 times, only in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. So here's my question. If you put on their mindset, what do you believe? What was their image of the promised Messiah and his kingdom? What would be their image? Write down, what do you think? What would be their expectation? What were they looking for? What did they desire in Messiah? What do you think? White horse and a sword. White horse and a sword. What else? Conquering king. Conquering king. White horse and a sword, conquering king. What else? Military leader, warrior. Military leader, warrior. The line of David, of course, right? Free them from persecution. Free them from persecution. Earthly. 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 Yeah. An earthly king, right? Would restore the Davidic kingdom. He'll restore the, the Davidic kingdom and the glory, right? Cindy, they came from that. We'll restore the glory. We will, we will be once again... 
right? Glorious in all the world, right? The glories of the kingdom, the reputation of God, right? So, so I put on there, so what's your image of the king and his kingdom? Certainly he'll come and overturn the election. Certainly he'll come and restore the nation. Certainly he'll come. I just wonder, what is our image today of Messiah and his kingdom? And let's make it even more personal. What, what, what are you looking for the king to be? Well, if you're like me, who has the spirit of America, you know, we grew up in a country where every man is free, everyone does his own thing. I'm not sure I want a king. I'd love a king that comes to the rescue when I need him, like the break glass in case of emergency God. We want the cavalry king who shows up when I have trouble. Yeah, we don't necessarily want him involved in our daily life unless he's needed to solve a problem. So if you could stay over there, but if we need you, we'll call you. Right. I was flicking around with my phone, and I found out if you push the power button three times, it makes an emergency call. I thought, well, that was weird. I was just kind of playing around with it, click, 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 and it made an emergency call. Well, that's what we want from God, right? If I, if I need you, I'll call you. So there's the question when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is this kingdom? Who is the king and what is this kingdom? Uh, I was thinking, yes. sorry, going back to that question before. If a king did come in like that, a ruler for us is going to solve all these things in Revelation, says that's going to be the Antichrist, actually. So when he comes in to conquer and rule and everybody is following him and loving him and bowing to him, that's not a good thing. Interesting. There'll be peace. There'll be peace. World peace. World peace. So there's a question, right? So as, as we step into this study as best we can, and this is hard to do, once you set aside your picture of who he is and let him re-inform you, let him re-educate you, let him remind you of who he is in a way and the point is that you will worship him. So it says in chapter 2 of Matthew, he says, where, where is he, right, the, the Magi come, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So interesting. He's born king of the Jews in the midst of the king of the Jews. For, for we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. So that's what, that's what I long, that we come to worship. So that's where we begin. We begin after this silent period. We begin where there's a pregnancy which has come to term, if you will, in the world and in the, in the fullness of time, uh, in the fullness of time. This is where we are in, in, in Galatians. It says, in the fullness of time that a son was born. So that's where we begin in Matthew. Let's look at where we end. We all know this part. Let's look at where we end. Somebody read the very end of chapter 28. We see this. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, what did they do? In verse 17, they worshiped. But some were doubtful. So that's where we are today, isn't it? We worship. Some are doubtful. We worship. And we're doubtful. He says, Jesus came up. He speaks to them. All authority gives the king. And he's not only the king, he's the sovereign king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, go, therefore, make disciples. Now, here's what's interesting. What's the first in verse 19? What's the first word? What's the first go. word in his charge? Go. go. Look go. back up here. Look back up here 